You're listening to Historical AF, or if you cuss like we do, Historical As Fuck. I'm your friendly neighborhood librarian, Ashley. And I am your classy historian, Kina. We're here to deliver the funny, weird, spooky, morbid, and random historical nuggets you never knew you needed. Yay! Hi, Kina. Hi. Welcome to episode six. Yes. Yes, episode six. I had to write it down. (laughs) Ah, It's like a whirlwind. It's all a blur at this point. It is. So, episode six. This week's theme is prehistoric shit. Woo! Woo! Yay! Dinosaurs. Ah! Yeah, like as much as Kino's excited about Egyptian stuff last week, I am that level of pumped about prehistoric stuff this week. This is my jam. Oh my gosh. I love it too. And I got to research some stuff that I used to research in college and I'm really excited. I know I say I'm excited every episode, but this is just the level of nerd I am. Any subject you throw at me, I'm going to be so excited that I can't contain myself. So Yes, you were that. supposed to be excited. <laughs> I had a lot of fun researching this. and nice. There was one I uh, messaged Ashley earlier. Like, I could barely get through researching one part because I was just, it's one of my worst fears. And I just kept being like, nope, 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 nope. And yeah, I just, I can't. It's going to be hard. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm assuming it's about snakes since I know how much you hate snakes, but we'll we'll find out when I get there. That is a good guess. <laughs> uh, so how was your week? My week was pretty good. I'm finally starting to get some zest for life back. And oh, um, nice. I my goal for today is to not take a nap. Like, I know it's a really lofty goal. But yeah, like I conquered the grocery store. I'm going to start going back to the gym. All that since I don't have a technical grown-up job anymore. I have to find ways to occupy my time, but uh, yeah, otherwise, I'm pretty good. Finally over that cold. Oh, that's good. Breathe, breathe through my nose. That's always a good thing. <laughs> yes. So how was your week? Oh, man. So this past weekend, I went on a, I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of like a pre-bachelorette party. Oh, yeah. That's Maybe. so cool. Yeah. So one of my friends from college is getting married on New Year's Eve, and so she rented this like quaint little cottage that's in a cute little town called Salado, Texas. And it has wineries and breweries. I went on my first actual wine tasting, so I feel classy as fuck right now. You are so classy. I know. But then I also realized as the future in-laws were asking questions like, how do you guys know each other? And like asking questions about college. I realized that I have no recollection of my early 20s. I have <laughs> blocked those out. <laughs> Every story, they're like, Kina, you were there. And I'm like, I don't remember that. After, like, the 10th time, the in-laws were like, do you remember anything? I'm like, I, I do. I think it's just that certain characters that were in those early years of my 20s, I have blocked out. So, therefore, all those memories are blocked out. So Yeah, maybe it's, fight. like, a survival instinct to block those moments <laughs> out. That's it's what true. I say in my past. Yeah, and, I mean, early 20s is always pretty rocky because you're figuring out who you are and you're figuring out who your real friends are and... Yeah, I surrounded around myself around some pretty toxic people in my early 20s before I got my shit together. So Real talk. I just don't like to think about those people. Yeah. And apparently I don't remember them at all, so that's fun. <laughs> Suck it, toxic people. <laughs> I know. I was, like, I, <laughs> I was like, I swear it's smart. But it was really funny because they all listen to the podcast. And two of them are Patreon members, Woo-hoo! Brianne and Katrina, who we've shouted out. But they kept quoting us. They would be like, I swear I'm smarter. English is hard. So I'm like, we've made it. Yeah. They quoted us. 
I mean, they happen to be my friends, but still, I felt really, I feel like we've arrived. <laughs> Drinking game at the wine tasting. That's awesome. The place we got married does wine tasting, so I've never actually gone to a wine tasting there. Oh, it was really fun. And they had a cat. <gasps> Sold. I know. I think the cat's name was like Winery Cat. Very creative. <laughs> but he was really... <laughs> They really thought hard on that one. They did. It was really cute. <laughs> That's awesome. Man, yeah. now I want to go on like a wine tasting weekend. Yeah, it was a cute little town. It had a little winery. And then they had a food truck that was one of those stone pizza ovens. Yo. It blew my mind. And I had yeah. beer for the first time in 10 years because, you know, the whole gluten thing. I So I had a flight of beer. Oh, wow. I know. Because when I was in my early 20s and could drink beer, it was always like Bud Light. But... You know, now I get to try the classy craft beers. Heck yeah. Is that delicious? It was. I mean, beer's kind of an acquired taste that I have lost the taste for. Yes, yes. I will say, speaking of flights, there's a restaurant that our friend Lana and I went to a couple weeks ago, and they have a tequila flight. Ooh. Oh. I didn't get it. Lana did, and I was so jealous. And if I didn't have to drive home afterwards, I would have gotten it. But it was beautiful, and it had, like, this printout card of where all the different, like, tequilas and mezcals were from. And I, oh, my God, I want to go back just for the flight. Oh, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I'd never seen, like, a hard liquor flight or, like, a tequila flight. So, yeah, I really want to do that. But anywho. (laughs) Enough booze talk. Enough about alcohol. Sorry, my vodka's already kicking in. So, um, <laughs> your girl's got the rum today. Woo. Yes, I'm going adult orange crush, orange crush creamsicle with uh, whipped cream vodka because I was too lazy to buy anything else. And I underestimated how much room I would be taking up in my buggy so I didn't have room for alcohol. Um, <laughs> I actually like blew the bag, the bagging guy's mind because he bagged up all my groceries. I put it in one of the tiny ba- uh, baskets that you can get at Kroger and then when he bagged him up, he put him in a big buggy and it filled it to the top. And then he saw the buggy I had walked up with and he goes, how did you fit all that in there? <laughs> Witchcraft. That... Yes. <laughs> what kind but of anyway. sorcery is this? Yeah. So I blew his mind and I felt really good. I also like felt really good about using an obscene amount of coupons. Like I now Ooh. understand the rush of like extreme couponing. Uh, so yeah, that's. I feel so domestic right now. How very adult of you. Right. Adulting. <laughs> so, <laughs> hip, hip. so yeah, my, my stuff mostly focuses on dinosaurs of a sort, but I wanted to say like, you know, you talked last week about how excited you were about Egypt and how that was like your thing as a kid. Mm-hmm. Dinosaurs were my thing. And I like vividly remember I had this book that was the Encyclopedia of Dinosaurs. Oh, I had that too. Oh my God. The like white book with the red, right? Yeah. Had that. And every week when my parents would take me to church, I would take that with me and read it. (laughs) And like, bless the sweet little old people at my church. They would ask me what I was reading about. And I would go on and on because I was obsessed, even though they're not technically dinosaurs, I was obsessed with pterodactyls. Aw. Because the P is silent. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Like, I, I totally should have known right there you're going to be an English nerd. <laughs> right. I know. Like, it fascinated me. Later on, I became obsessed with the word lasagna because the G is silent. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. But yeah, like, I would go on and on about pterodactyls. I had all these 
like insane facts memorized and they have since been lost in the ether. But I've always loved it. Like I told you yesterday, I was thinking about wearing one of the one of my dinosaur shirts, but I had too many to choose from. So I just wore our regular historical AF shirt. But yeah, I'm super pumped because dinosaurs. Oh, man. Yeah, I love them too. I remember my dad was from Chicago. He lived there most of his life. So when we'd go up there to visit family, we'd go to the Field Museum where Sue is at. And seeing her for the first time blew my mind. If you don't know who Sue is, she's one of the, she was like the first T-Rex that was found that was completely intact. Oh, cool. They have her reconstructed. It was so cool. I really just kind of blows your mind when you see it in person, especially as a little kid, because then it's even bigger. (laughs) (laughs) This past summer, I was an intern at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. That's a big mouthful. But um, I did a lot of the summer camps, and there was this little boy, and he had, I think he was five years old, and he was obsessed with dinosaurs, and he knows all their scientific names. So everywhere we'd go, he'd just be listing them off. He was kind of like the kid from Jurassic Park that was like, plesiosaur, and this one's called a, you know, whatever. And he just kept going, like, describing everything about them. He knew so much. And then when I met his parents, they were like, yeah, he never stops talking about dinosaurs. So (laughs) I was like, it's fine. I I know a lot of people like that, including myself. (laughs) Yes, that big mood. That is me. Fun to be on the flip side. You are that kid, and then you meet that kid, and you're like, whoa, this is what people must have been like when they met me when I was a kid. Anywho, do we want to roll today to see who goes first, since we like all of our stories? Yes, I love it. Uh... Funny as fuck. Oh, that's me. That is you. Okay, so funny as fuck. Let me rearrange my notes. Do, 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 do. Okay, so this one is a short one. It's just kind of a little blur, but for my funny as fuck, we are going to talk about the world's largest dinosaur. Ooh. But it is in quotes because it's a statue. Oh, plot twist. Yes. So, the world's largest dinosaur is located at number 60, First Avenue West, in Drumheller, Alberta, Canada. Ooh, go Canada. So, yeah, it makes me want to, like, really go to Canada and see this. So, it is 86 feet tall. Oh, man. So, in my research, I realized that that is the length of two school buses. Oh, cool. I didn't even think about, like, looking up a comparison or anything, so go all me. Minor, all minor by the distance of how big a school bus is, so that's the only nice. reason I know that. I don't don't just normally know how big a school bus is. No judgment if you did. So, there's stairs inside of this statue, and it's, there's 106 stairs from the bottom to the top. Oh, man. 12 people can fit inside the mouth <laughs> at the time. I like that like, I want to know if that's, like, comfortably fit, like, shoulder to shoulder, fingertips part, what? But anyway, 12 people can fit at a time. This is four times bigger than an actual T-Rex. It is 151 feet long from nose to tail. Oh, man. It weighs 65 tons or 145,000 pounds. She's a female, which I... I 
I didn't expect that distinction because it's a statue, but yes, it's a female t- a T-Rex. <laughs> and it cost $1,065,000 to build. Ooh, yikes. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So, the building of the dinosaur. So, basically, this is a project that a ton of different organizations came together to build it. So, the main organization focused on building the structure and all of that, but then some of the components like the fiberglass and the painting and molding. Well, the structure was built in Canada, in Alberta, but the like outside components came from as far away as China and Philippines. Oh, wow. So they call it accomplished cooperation across borders. Did they have like a giant barge that had just like the outermost shell of a T-Rex floating across the ocean? Because I want to imagine that happening. That is exactly what I imagine. And they didn't say, and I really wish they had. Because I definitely picture it like lashed to the top of a boat. I know, kind of like that scene in Jurassic Park, you know, where they're like loading it up on the boat or the truck. Is it a boat or a truck? Oh, God. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We're like, Godzilla! And they won't be able to see it on the recording, but I'll post it on the face. But I'm going to show you. Here is the face of the T-Rex. <laughs> She's so happy. Also, she has a well-placed tree. Oh, dear. Is that for modesty's sake? I think it's for modesty's sake. So that's how uh, you They're know covering like... her dinosaur hoo-ha with a palm tree. Yeah, That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so, yes, I had to share that. Eyes are a little bulgy, too. They are. Like, she's, like, real, I don't know, she's real toothy. And anyway, so I love her. So the actual construction for it started in 1999 and October 2nd. And then a year later, on October 6th of 2000, they had a sneak a peek, which uh, nobody can see my quotation marks. But... Then their final, like, grand opening was a year later in 2001. And basically, it's this park. You can come, and it's like a visitor center where you can get info about traveling the area. But all of the funding paid by, like, admission tickets and souvenirs and all that, 15% of it goes towards funding, like, going back into the community, basically. So it's called the World's Largest Dinosaur Legacy Fund, and it was established to reinvest revenues generated by the WLD attraction and gift shop back into the community to enhance and enrich community economic development initiative in the Drumheller region. So it's, it's pretty cool. So basically, like, you can apply to that fund to have your like community project funded. So I know it's not like super awesome and amazing in terms of being prehistoric, but it's cool dinosaur related. But I was going to say that we have something similar in the US in California called Cabazon Dinosaurs. Huh. It's in Riverside County, California, and it was made famous in pop pop words pop culture. By Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. <laughs> and uh, of course it was. Right. And it's got a giant T-Rex just like this that you can go up the stairs inside of it into its mouth. But this park has 50 lifelike dinosaur statues, not just one, as well as Ooh. dino dig, fossil painting, stuff like that, because America's better. Sorry. <laughs> I don't hate us, Canada. 
sorry, Canada. And then I just like really quick wanted to mention in terms of pop culture, the La Brea Tar Pits, which are also in California, became popular. I mean, they're popular anyway, but then in movies, it was in My Girl 2, which is like one of my favorite movies, that whole series. Mm -hmm. And then Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones, which taught me (laughs) so much about lava and the tar pits and fault lines. And oh my God, it's amazing. Oh, wow. I actually worked at a movie theater when I was a teenager, like really young teenager when that movie came out and they gave us hard hats to wear. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh man. So I Googled while you're talking and Alberta apparently is the home of the world's biggest T-Rex, but they didn't discover it until 1991. So they were already building this before they even knew they had a T-Rex. Oh, cool. That's pretty cool. Plus, that they started cool. building it in October of 99. They must not have been worried about Y2K. If you're putting all this money into this T-Rex. For real. In October. Or they think they won't have computers anymore. So they're banking all their money on this T-Rex. You can climb inside of its mouth. That's true. For our younger listeners, you should Google Y2K. Because I've learned that younger people don't know what that is. My God. I am so old. <laughs> Blast from the past. Oh, man. But yeah, so I know it's a weird little starting off point, and I promise my other notes are longer. But yes, so it's a giant. I actually like started looking it up because I was, I was hate watching Keeping Up with Kardashians the other day, <laughs> and they went to this like weird retro trailer park that had like the windstream, tiny fifties trailers that they could stay in or like cabins, uh-huh. and it had a giant dinosaur statue. Ooh. So. I was looking that up because I was going to talk about different places that have dinosaur statues. But then I came across this one and it was cool that it was not only a giant statue, but also was like a community effort and helped like pay back into the community, which I'm like really big about. So, yeah. That's so cool. That's really interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. All right. So I think I will jump into just our classic history, historical AF. Sweet. All right. So we're going to start with a historical detour. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Just because I want some context. So rock art. It used to be called cave paintings, which is what most people call them. But since most of it's not in a cave and most of it isn't painted, it makes no sense to call it a cave painting. So rock art. Anthropologists and archaeologists define rock art as images carved, drawn, or painted Onto immovable rock surfaces. That's the official definition. Awesome. Images that are carved or engraved into the rock are called petroglyphs. Images made with paint or other pigments are called pictographs. Some rock art images, like painted petroglyphs, were created using a combination of the techniques. Rock art is one of the oldest material forms of human expression, and it's found throughout the world. Ancient people created many different kinds of images, some simple and some of them are complex. It can be easy to identify rock art images of humans, animals, or natural objects such as the sun. Geometric and abstract images are also common in rock art. What these images were meant to depict and why they were made are interesting questions that anthropologists and archaeologists try to answer by studying how the images were made, where they are located, and which images occur together and by trying to identify which groups produce them. 
Sometimes we can trace the relationship between geometric or abstract designs and other more naturalistic motifs that are easier to identify, but many rock art images remain enigmatic and difficult to interpret. That's awesome. Right? All right, so let's travel back to September 12th, 1940. I want to do do like the Bill and Ted, like, no. (laughs) Those were amazing hand gestures. Thank you. All right, so near Montiac, France, La France, a collection of prehistoric cave paintings were discovered by four teenagers who stumbled upon ancient artwork after following their dog down a narrow entrance into a cave. And that is how a dog discovered Lascaux, and four teenagers took the credit. <laughs> nice. That I just expected that to end like a horror movie, and they were never <laughs> seen from again. Oh, no, they were. They... It's, not tragic. Not, okay, good. not yet. Not yet. Just kidding. Not this story. <laughs> <laughs> the teens being the dog's owner, Marcel Ravida, and his three friends, Marquis Marcel, Jour Agnel, and Simone Kuncas. Kuncas? All right. Anyway. Yep, so, let's go. <laughs> the kids weren't just jumping into scary dark holes. And they think, actually, the hole was created by a rotted tree stump. So when the tree kind of went away, it opened up the hole. Anyway, so there was this local legend of this underground passage that led to the Lasco Manor. So they thought that the hole was actually that secret entrance that they'd heard about. But when they entered the cave through a 15-meter or 49-feet drop, they discovered that the cave walls were covered with depictions of animals and they just accidentally discovered one of the greatest archaeological works of art in the 20th century. Wow. Yeah, I'm so jealous. I mean, I actively tried to discover shit as a kid. And then these guys just accidentally stumble on it because of their dog. So It always pisses me off. <laughs> it's so unfair. So Lasco is a paleolithic cave that contains some of the most famous examples of prehistoric cave paintings. The art dated... 17,000 BCE to 15,000 BCE consists mostly of animal representations and is among the finest example of art from the Upper Paleolithic period. Say that five times fast. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) It was first studied by French archaeologist Henri-Edouard Prosper Bruel. I need a more epic name. I know, right? And they're all like hyphenated. That's just a very long name. Yes. The Lascaux Grotto consists of a main cavern that is 66 feet wide and 16 feet high. The walls of the cave are decorated with some 600 painted and drawn animals and symbols and nearly 1,500 engravings. That's a lot. And you said it was only 16 by 16? 66 by 16. 66 by 16. Okay, I was like, how the fuck do you fit 200 (laughs) paintings and all this? And okay, go on. (laughs) The pictures depicted are in excellent detail and they have numerous types of animals including horses, deer, stags, bovines, felines, and what appear to be mythical creatures. There is only one human figure depicted in the cave. It's a bird-headed man with an erect phallus which is a fancy way to say boner. Yay! (laughs) That's so fun. Archaeologists believe that the cave was used over a long period of time, and it might have been a center for hunting and religious rites, which makes sense with that many paintings. They had to have been there a really long time. 
That's pretty awesome. Right? So Lasco Grotto was open to the public in 1948, but it was closed in 1963 because the artificial lights had begun to fade the colors of the paintings, and it actually caused algae to grow on some of them. Ugh, I hate that. Oh, I know. It was, it was going downhill fast, so they were like, nah, shut it down. We're okay, not going to open it up again. But they created a replica of Lasco, and they called it Lasco Number 2. And it was opened in 1983, and it received tens of thousands visitors annually. Huh. It features 80% of the paintings that you would find in the original cave. And it was located just 1,000 feet or so away from the original cave. So you kind of get the full experience. You're in the same area. You get to see almost all the paintings. But you're not hurting the artwork. Including the man with the boner? Including the man with the boner. Awesome. <laughs> In 2012, Lasco number three debuted as an international exhibition. So it traveled from country to country, showing exact replicas of the paintings and engravings from the walls of the original cave. And on December 15th, night, not 19, on December 15th, 2016, Lasco four opened as the most complete replica of the cave. It has a hundred percent of the cave's paintings and engravings. <laughs> Lasco was introduced into the UNESCO World Heritage Site list in 1979 as an element of prehistoric site and decorated caves of the Vizier Valley. So in case you don't know, a World Heritage Site is a landmark or an area which is selected by the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization as having cultural, historical, scientific, or other form of significance and is legally protected by international treaties. It's so, a huge honor. Huge deal. So awesome. that was um, with the tragedy that just happened with Notre Dame de Paris. It was a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And then also in San Antonio, where I'm from, we have one. The uh, missions are oh. a World Heritage Site. So that's pretty cool. Sweet. There's not very many of them. So if no. you get a chance to see one, they got picked for a reason. And it's pretty big effing deal. Nice. So a little more on the paintings. The sections have been identified in the cave as the Great Hall of the Bulls, the Lateral Passage, the Shaft of the Dead Man. I'm not making that up. (laughs) (laughs) The (laughs) The Chamber of Engravings, the Painted Gallery, and the Chamber of Felines. Love it. Images can be grouped into three main categories. Animals, human figures, and abstract signs. Most of the major images have been painted onto walls using mineral pigments, although some designs have been incised into the stone. Of the animals, horses are predominant. There are also 90 paintings of stags, and also represented are cattle, bison, felines, a bird, bear, a rhinoceros. Go figure with that one. For real. (laughs) In France. And then the one dude with the boner we mentioned before. So, side note, the man... Also seems to be laying down. So some experts think that he's dead. Yikes. <laughs> and uh, with a boner. And then yeah. other things that he might be asleep or dreaming. But he's also laying next to a disemboweled bison with the boner. So it, it leaves me, me with a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to each their own. But I mean, honestly, I took uh, rock art in college. It's really fascinating. But nearly everything has a boner. I mean, literally every slide we looked at had oh, some yeah. dude with a boner. So it's not like out of the realm of, I mean, a lot of yeah. phallic images in art history. 
Yeah, so many of the like Native American like folktales and stuff that we covered in my American lit classes mm-hmm. also had like a lot of phallus. So like even some of the more contemporary tales. So I mean, it's just it's a thing. Yeah, and I'm sure Literally. it signified like the virility and their manlyhood and all that good stuff. So yes, it's not a crazy thing to see if you Google rock art. You're gonna see a lot of dicks. So yeah, just make sure you Google rock art and not like rock hard <laughs> or you're, just, you're going on like a real weird trip. It's like the time I accidentally typed hot a meal instead of hot mail. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, all right. So additionally, some of the fam- most famous images are four huge black bulls in the Hall of the Bulls. One of the bulls is 17 feet long, and it's the largest animal ever discovered in rock art. Huh. Okay. Oh, pretty cool. That additionally, pretty- the bulls appear to be in motion, which is even more significant when you think about if you think about like rock art, you're thinking very primitive, but they had the artistic ability to be depicting something in motion. So that shows like an, an involvement in their artistic abilities. And uh, there's actually no images of reindeer, even though they think that it's the principal source of their food for whoever the artist was. So that's interesting that they're depicting oh, yeah. every animal, but the animal that they were eating. So huh. Yeah, because I mean... Yeah, that makes sense in France. There would be reindeer. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So a painting referred to as the crossed bison found in the chamber called the nave is often held as an example of the skill of the Paleolithic cave painter, which I will put on our Facebook page. But normally, if you're studying rock art, this is the first picture that's going to pop up and it's last go. So anywho, real quick, why should we give a shit about rock art? (laughs) (laughs) So besides being really cool and fascinating to me, uh, humans didn't know how to write during this time. So this meant that art was their only form of communication. So this is a big fucking deal. So if you think about the intricacies of this artwork and where they put it, everything is incredibly significant because it's their only way of telling their story and communicating with other people. So that's why you should care. So I Googled rock art France and clicked on Lascaux or however you say it. And, I mean, they're so awesome. Like, the rhinos are really cool. Yeah, they're very colorful still. They're just... And you can tell what they are. Like, they were... Like, hey. Oh, there's somebody. Oh, pause. There's somebody at my door. Oh, God. But Murray started barking and like turned around and left. So nice, good. I don't Murray. know if my dog just saved my life or something. <laughs> yeah, you put down your headphones and I was like, "Am I about to watch Kina get murdered on camera?" <laughs> <laughs> saved okay, by cool. the dog. Woo. Yes. Woo. So ready to jump back into it? Yeah, I was done. What do you want to do next? Okay, there was something I was gonna say. Crap, what was it? Lasco, colorful, cool pictures, animals. Uh, oh, the rhinos. Okay, so something that like I saw during my research is one of the artifacts that has been found in England was the, it's called the England rhino jaw. Huh. 
And I was like, what? And it, I don't know why, but for some reason in my head, like, I think of dinosaurs as desert creatures. I don't know why. That's just where I go. So reading about them in, like, England and, like, South Carolina and Massachusetts and Australia and all these places, like, I know they were all over the world, but for some reason it blows my mind when I read about them all over the world. Oh, I just Googled it. Okay, the woolly rhinoceros is an extinct species of rhinos that was common throughout Europe and northern Asia during the Pleistocene epoch, and it survived until the last glacial period. Huh. That makes sense. They would have had rhinos. Who knew? That's awesome. And, like, fun fact, just a little side note, is uh, woolly mammoths were were still in existence in Siberia when the pyramids were being built in Egypt. Ooh, that's cool. Little timeline lineup. So, yes. Yeah, so, do you want to hear... Ooh. Let's go with my random. Okay. So, I rolled random AF this week, and Kina gave me the word footprints. Okay, so first, let me say this little tidbit before I jump into my topic. So, how are footprint fossils formed? Because... With my thinking cap on, I was like, duh, they step in the mud and then like it washes away. So how does it stay? And so I had to Google it. <laughs> that was my smart voice. So basically what I found, you know, since footprints tend to blow away or get erased by the wind or rain or snow or whatever, my, my thinking made sense, n- not just in my head. So basically the dinosaurs, they walk through the mud and they leave the prints And then the footprints are filled with sand or pebbles or silt or whatever. And this hardens into rock. And then the footprints get preserved for millions of years, like underwater, under the um, sand, whatever. And then when erosion from the wind or water comes and removes that debris that was pressed into the print to hold it, voila, you have a fossil. Now you're cooking with peanut oil. So, (laughs) oh, and here's another little fact. The first dinosaur tracks found in North America were discovered in the Connecticut River Valley of Massachusetts. Oh, wow. I don't think I would have expected Massachusetts. Yeah, I see. That's another like, and I mean, I, I read the dude found him like in, he was like tilling his field of, I don't know, corn, whatever they grow in that area. I don't know. I didn't look that up. And, uh, <laughs> and I regret nothing, but um. Yeah, like he was like tilling the field and stumbled upon these. So yeah, that was just fascinating. But we're not gonna we're not gonna be talking about America. We're talking about the Dinosaur Stampede National Monument in Queensland, Australia. What? That's a thing. I need to go. Yes. Go. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> I I have like always sworn that I would never go to Australia because all of their animals want to kill you. Oh, that's true. But I want to go here. Dinosaur Stampede National Monument. This is the largest collection of footprint fossils. Oh my God, fossils! Really, fossils. I wore found- rubbed off on you. <laughs> <laughs> you did. No, the vo- I usually don't drink, so the vodka is like kicking in really hard. And all I've eaten today is a corn dog, so that's cool. Uh, <laughs> so it is the largest collection of football. <laughs> Hello, Foot- blue real. <laughs> Hello, bloopers. Footprint fossils found in one area. So, this place, the Lark Quarry Dinosaur Trackways Stampede. So, there are other trackways all over the world where it shows, like, tons of dinosaurs have trafficked through these areas. But this is the biggest evidence of a stampede. Oh, that is so cool. So, picture it. 
95 years ago, 95 million years ago, not 95 years, in Lark Quarry. It was then, it was a part of the Great River Plain. It was sandy and swampy. It was a lake that was full of like mussels and lungfish, crocodiles, all kinds of flora and fauna. Rainfall in the area was over a meter a year. Mm-hmm. And the surrounding lowland forest had like tree ferns and ginkgos, conifers, you know, all, other flowering plants like prehistoric plants. Yeah. So the site where the dinosaur footprints were found was once a stream bed leading into a lake. The water level has dropped, exposing a patch of half dried and has still plastic mud in this area retained the dinosaur footprints. So the water had receded away from the area, but it was still like that sticky mud that you kind of sink into. Mm-hmm. And it hadn't dried out and cracked, so it held the prints. So basically, as the years passed, after the prints were left, the sediment layers, like the water receded back over the water, uh, the prints, sediment formed in the footprints and hardened it into rock and saved oh, it. Cool. So, let's see. Basically, it stretches like from this riverbed across. Uh, some of it hasn't been uncovered yet in the lake area. Some of it is across the lake up on the hills, a couple of different hills that they've like dug down into the hill. So basically, here's what they think happened. Like basing it on math, projections, speed, velocity, weight, blah, blah, blah. What was that? A big ass truck honking. Jesus. Okay. Okay. Get good. It together, I, neighborhood. Right. Fuck. Jesus Christ, neighborhood. <laughs> but basically, they, with deductive reasoning as well as science, here's what they think happened. So I am ready. My body is ready. Hit me. Ninety-five million years ago, a large two-legged ornithopod, ornithopod, which was probably a little bit smaller than a T-Rex, but I mean, it could have been a T-Rex. And they refer to it later as a Tyrannosaurus, which is means foot of Tyrannosaurus. Mm-hmm. Um, so they like classify it as a Tyrannosaurus, but it was smaller than a T-Rex. Oh, okay. So basically this giant dinosaur, this giant predator, came to the edge of the water to drink and they left their prints in the mud. And then later on, Two herds of small two-legged dinosaurs came to drink. There were about 150 dinosaurs of two different kinds. Oh, okay. So there were the carnivorous calorosaurs, which are about the size of chickens or were, and then the slightly <laughs> larger uh, plant-eating ornithopods that were from, like, the size of chickens to the size of emus. And I mean, real talk, chickens look like dinosaurs when they're running. They do, which I also stumbled upon that there were two types of dinosaurs, basically, that there were the bird-hipped and the non-bird-hipped dinosaurs, and birds actually look more like the not-bird-hipped dinosaurs. I don't know. It was weird. I stopped reading because I got a little confused. So so anyway, so these little little birds, little dinosaurs were down drinking, and the giant giant dinosaur came back. And... So it says it slowed and I'll, I'll read out in just a second, the like specifics of how they know that it slowed down and did it stalking and all this, but it slowed down, started to stalk its prey and then it turned and charged and the little herd started stampeding and left this like chaotic mass of footprints in the mud as they tried to escape. 
All right. So how did they know it was a stampede? Yes, All, I need to know. Yeah. So, so the scientists, they figured out which dinosaurs made the tracks and then they figured out how many dinosaurs there were. And then they figured out how many they, how fast they were moving. So they were basically kind of like able to piece it all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the big, it was slow when it was walking across the mudflat. It was taking steps and it was going about eight to nine kilometers an hour. So by its fourth step, it slowed down. And they could tell that from the pressure of the like weight of the foot going into the mud. Oh, okay. And then they think that's when it spotted the smaller dinosaurs. And once it spotted them, their strides became shorter, like, and its foot pad impression disappeared because when the dinosaur would stalk, it would go up on its toes, much like a dog walks on its toes. Oh. And was tiptoe, basically tiptoeing, like this giant, tiny T Rex. <laughs> I know it's not funny, but in my head, it's funny. Yes. Yeah, so like, I picture, like, I don't know, like the Pink Panther music, like, dinner. <laughs> like, I don't know. Or, like, the little tiptoe noises that you hear on, like, Tom and Jerry. That's what I picture. So, started tiptoeing for about five steps, and then it turned to the right. And it said on their website, this suggests it saw the herd and tried to head them off. So, like, it took one more step. Like, maybe it was starting off to run, and then the tracks disappear. Like, it was either running so fast that it just didn't make impressions or was running so lightly. So, the little dinosaurs all ran in the same direction. This isn't like the footprints are going every which way because they're just happily hopping around the like Lion King looking watering hole like this was they all ran away from a danger so they turned took off across the mud flat and those tracks got crossed by the big dinosaur so basically it looks like they were herded by the big dinosaur and some of them made it back over the hill and got away, but some of them they think that were run into the water and were eaten. Aww. So I know. So I feel really bad for little chicken dinosaurs. Poor chicken dinosaurs. No. So, so back in ni- the 1960s, this guy named Glenn Seymour was working in the area because they were digging for opal. Oh, cool. And he saw these footprints and he thought that they were fossilized bird tracks. And so he went and got this guy who was a local expert, Peter Knowles. And I don't know if he was an expert of opal digging or dinosaurs or birds. I don't know. But he went to and got him and showed him. And Peter Knowles was like, no, those are actually dinosaur tracks. And Glenn Seymour is like, you're fucking with me, right? And he's like, no, those are actually dinosaur tracks. And like he thought he was just playing with them. So. In 1971, scientists from Queensland Museum and British Museum of Natural History were in the region looking for Cretaceous mammals. And knowing this guy Peter's interest in the fossils, they came to him and were like, hey, can you help us? And he's like, yo, I don't know about mammals, but I can show you these dinosaur tracks. So they go out there and they trace the sediment layer and they found the tracks across a second hill. And they predicted that there were more tracks at the same level, so like on a neighboring hill, and they were right. So in 1976 to 77, a team of volunteers led by Queensland Museum and the University of Queensland's paleontologists spent 18 months removing part of the hill to expose the trackways layers. 
and the site was super remote and camping was rough and all this. And so the site was named Lark Quarry after Malcolm Lark, one of the volunteers who removed more rock than anyone else. Oh, good for him. Good for him. I, that's how I, I want to be remembered. Like, he worked even harder than the rest of them. Well, that's name it awesome. They usually name it after, like, the dude that doesn't do anything. Yes. Like, the dude who's like, LOL, those aren't dinosaur tracks. Like, that yeah. dude. That's what I expected. But, yeah, so dude worked really hard and got it named after him. And uh, so 60 tons of rock was removed from an area of about 210 square meters. Not a, not a huge area. Mm-hmm. And it contains approximately 3,300 footprints so far. Oh, wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. And so later on, they built a sheltering roof over it for people to come see it. But water runoff and dust, uh, humidity fluctuations, wildlife, and like people walking and stuff started damaging the trackways. So they kind of took into action that they needed to conserve the space. So they built an actual like building around the main area of it. And that was in 2002. And that's the Queensland. It was funded by the Queensland heritage trails network. But yeah, so, and they like, they're still trying to conserve it and all that. So here's just a little breakdown of what types of dinosaurs were there. There was the, the foot of the dinosaur and they call them, they end with opus or opus because it means foot of. So Tyrannosaurus is the foot of Tyrannosaurus. Oh. And they, let's see, their footprint size for that, the big dinosaur, is 51 centimeters, which is huge com- comparatively. What, like, I'm five, five and a half, so I'm 65 centimeters, 65 and a half centimeters tall, right? I think. I don't know. Uh, don't quote me on that. So, um, so yeah, so it's almost as long as I, or as big as I am tall. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Wait, 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 wait. Back up. Here's my first retraction of the podcast. Strap in. I am 65 and a half inches tall, not <laughs> centimeters, inches I swear I'm smart. Back to your regularly scheduled program. And then it could move about 6.9 kilometers an hour. So got those giant ones. It had the footprint is symmetrical with three long toes. And each toe has a sharp claw. So picture Jurassic Park when the Tyrannosaurus Rex is stepping on the car you can see its toes and nobody can see me make the toe hand (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and it these types of dinosaurs were solitary hunters big teeth pointy sharp stabbing etc but the weird thing is that no bones of this type of dinosaur have been found in queensland really yeah like other similar theropods have been found in like victoria southern victoria and stuff like that but none have actually been found in queensland so that's kind of cool and then there was Scartopus uh, australis, which was the calorosaurs, and they're the chicken-sized theropods called calosaurs, most likely pack hunters. They were small, lightly built, and could run fast. They had three toes as well, and they had sharp claws, but they only ate insects, small animals, 
eggs, fruit, berries, etc. So also I want to give a shout out to them for eating frogs because I'm terrified of frogs. So Man, I keep on laughing, but we used to have chickens when we were in Arkansas. We had to give them to some friends when we moved. But I have videos of, like, Zeke running across the yard and then, like, a whole herd of, like, 20 chickens running after him. It's the funniest (laughs) thing where they look like little velociraptors. I want chickens so bad. Oh, they're so much fun. I want to get them here, but we don't have as much land here. Damn. Damn. But yes, and then the third dinosaur that they see is the Wintonopus latumorum. That is a terrible pronunciation, which... uh, (laughs) Sounds like a Harry Potter spell. It does. Um, Which means Wintonfoot and Stonemason in honor of the many volunteers who assisted with the Lark Quarry excavation. And uh, five for them to be honoring volunteers so much. Yes. Like that's huge. Yes. And they were, they were the plant eaters. So yeah, it's a really cool place. I really want to go and like just stare at it. I don't even know what I would do. I would probably be like one of those terrible people that would want to like just get a little bit closer and then like fall into it <laughs> and destroy that's how I felt when I went to Blanchard Spring Caverns mm-hmm. like I was like yeah my presence here is destroying this ecosystem so yeah oh man we do have a dinosaur valley state park in Texas what? I haven't gotten to go yet but there's dinosaur footprints they're not like a t-rex or anything but from what I hear it's pretty cool don't think I didn't look up earlier how far you were from Houston so I can come visit you and then go to the museum in Houston and look at the dinosaur bones. <laughs> oh, yeah, this one is in Ro- Glen Rose, Texas. I think it's a couple of hours from here. Oh, man, I'm going to come down and we're going to like road trip to all the places. I know it's really exciting. There's apparently some really close to San Antonio, too, that you can go. But you have to like hike a lot. They're not really easily accessible i don't don't have the best uh track record with hiking (laughs) let us not forget that time that keena and i went hiking and i fell on the way down and two very strapping young men offered to carry me the rest of the way and that was laughable (laughs) okay they have sauropod tracks and theropod tracks oh cool so i mean they're similar to these because i mean these were the little chicken chicken ones were theropods yeah, and the sauropod is a large elephant-like track believed to be made by the Poseidon proteles. Okay. Huh. huh. I need to go. I wonder, I know there is a type of dinosaur that was f- discovered in Arkansas, and I wonder if there's a place to go view the bones. Yeah, it was like Arkansas something something forest. It's Arkansas. <laughs> That's even worse. <laughs> Also, I just creative Arkansas. (laughs) I just can't stop hearing the the kid from Jurassic Park in my head saying, you know, what do you call a a blind T Rex? Do you think he saw us? What do you call blind T Rex's dog? Do you think he saw us, Rex? I love that movie so much. Oh, so uh, the Arkansas is also a theropod. It was an ortho. Wow, Ornithomimosaurian theropod dinosaur. It lived during the Albion and Aptian stages of the early Cretaceous. Oh. It's called, it's the only species, the type and only species is Arkansas fridae. <laughs> Did they find it on a Friday? That's what I was, oh no. <laughs> Je- 
It was found by Joe B. Friday, who owned a service station in Locksburg, Arkansas, Locksburg, Arkansas, in August of 1972. Oh. Yeah. So that's interesting. I could have done a whole story on that. Yeah. I didn't realize that it was discovered in the 70s since it just became the state dinosaur. Yeah, I know. Because, of course, Arkansas has its own state dinosaur. (laughs) (sighs) Well, I mean, let's be lucky it's not some damn pig. Like being true. Oh my god! Don't you be talking about them Razorbacks. I, I can't. But yeah, apparently it was found in a ditch near the road where some uh-huh. gravel had been removed recently. What the hell? I have been trying to stumble on a dinosaur my entire existence, and these people what? are just randomly strolling upon them. I no, I can't. I hate it. Seriously, where the hell were the dinosaur bones in Caddo Valley, Arkansas, when I was digging holes at? Five years old, looking for the big discoveries. It's true. So I know. I used to dig all the time. I even went to the diamond mines thinking, I dig a lot. Maybe I'll find yes. Never found anything Never. there either. Never. Remember when Zeke used to tell you that y'all wouldn't get married until you went and dug up your own diamond at the diamond mine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good thing he finally happen. gave up on that. That, that was the thing. Well, I still don't get my wedding band until our 50th anniversary, according to him. So maybe I have to dig that one up. Nice. We can range it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you want next? Morbid or spooky? <gasps> let's 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 rip off the bandage of morbid. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> I want to hear all the no's. Uh, there's so many nopes. I just, oh, man. Okay. So I'm going to do something a little different for morbid. I'm going to do some prehistoric monsters that are guaranteed to murder the shit out of you if you were to time travel or they came back to life. Yes. And uh, they're also guaranteed to haunt your dreams presently. So here we go. (laughs) Bring it on. These are probably not all, but some of the most alarming prehistoric monsters that have ever swum, crawled, or slithered around the planet. (laughs) Slither. Litter. All right, so we're going to start with the Megalodon. Yes, I love Megalodons. That movie was so funny. Oh, the Meg. I haven't yes. watched it yet. I was saving it to watch with the teens. Oh, <sighs> God, it's so funny. Oh, we should drunk dive that one. Whew, Hell right. yes. So the Carcaricolis Megalodon, that's the scientific name. It means great tooth. And that is not an overstatement because the dude is pretty much all mouth. <laughs> I uh, went to the Texas Aquarium with my in-laws, and they have a giant reconstructed megalodon mouth, and like the entire family could fit in it. And wow, we are all like six feet, so this is not a small <laughs> group of people. So yeah, it was oh, a no. little, it was a little startling to see how large that was. The giant shark megalodon is presently the biggest vertebrate aquatic predator that has ever been discovered by paleontologists back to its mouth (laughs) (laughs) the megalodon had multiple rows of teeth with 276 of them lined up into like razor blade rows does that make sense i said that yes no it's uh, in my head i was immediately like garbage disposal i don't know why (laughs) That's why I paused, because I was just like, where is that thought coming from? Yeah, so I had multiple rows of 276 teeth, and each tooth was up to seven inches long, and the jaw was six and a half feet across. So in Kina measurements, 
that is like five feet taller than my six foot self wide. Wow. And his teeth are the size of my big ass hands. I measured. That's awesome. Nice. <laughs> my hands are from like you, wrist to finger. <laughs> I thought you measured by bus, not fingers. <laughs> well, I'll get to that. My whole belief system is torn. <laughs> so Bitey McBiterson could exert <laughs> up to 41,000 pounds of bite force. Which is insane. He get, he a literally lot. ate whales for breakfast. Just no big deal. And Hard. then I saw a video that said it could bite through a single car in a second. But doing so, he would lose all his teeth. But it's cool because they grew fucking back within, <sighs> within 48 hours. Like once, like going from baby teeth to adult teeth or like every time? Every time. It was like an insurance that he could constantly eat and just like murder the fuck out of ocean stuff. Jesus Christ. Okay. Right? Nightmares. Stuff of nightmares. All right. So he had uh, 41,000 pounds of bite force. To put it in perspective, a T-Rex only had 12,800. That's, that's, yeah. Massive. That, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, think Jaws, but bigger and more aggressive. The Meg was around 60 feet long, which is about four times the size of the C-nope that I call the Great White Shark. (laughs) And that is one and a third school buses long. Nice. Yeah. He also weighed... It's it's very long. Uh, He also weighed over 70 to 100 tons, which is 10 plus elephants. And the T-Rex only weighed nine tons. So a T-Rex is nine tons. This dude's like 70 at the least. Oh, wow. (laughs) No. (laughs) Look, I'm already terrified of deep water because of giant (laughs) animals and stuff. I could not have survived. Oh, my God. So we did our honeymoon in Florida. We went to the ocean and we got there kind of late. So like sun's going down. Everybody's leaving. It's just us on the beach. And I'm like. I've seen this movie. This doesn't end up wrong. And then he's like, I'm going to get a drink. So I'm in the ocean by myself. And I'm like, fuck this. I know how this story ends. And I run out of the ocean. And then the next day we see on the news that a shark actually was spotted in that beach. And I was like, no. Yikes. 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 <laughs> like, you remember these movies when you're in the ocean. Move over, Jesus. I'm walking on water to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yes. Huh. All right. So fun fact, researchers now believe that the Meg and great white sharks are actually not related, despite looking very similar. Yeah. The Meg is descended from the Oculus shark then has its own single evolutionary line. That's cool. I know. I did not know that because they look very similar. Yeah. yeah. And then old Meg also lived in the seas around Europe, Africa, Australia, and the Americas in the Cenozoic era between 16 million and 2.6 million years ago. So teeth have been found on every continent except for Asia and Antarctica. Really? This thing was literally everywhere. Yeah. Holy shit. How, if it's eating constantly, how much shit was in the ocean for there to be that many? <laughs> Especially with, like, six extinction events between then and now, like, damn. Okay, and then they don't actually have fossils of the Meg because sharks are made of cartilage and they don't fossilize. But there are teeth everywhere. And there was also a place in California where apparently there's a whole beach just filled with their teeth. And you have to wear special gloves because they're, like, razor blades still. I want to go there. 
Yes. Okay. All right. So the Megalodon went extinct around 2.6 million years ago. Unless you believe Discovery Channel or YouTube conspiracy theories. <laughs> there's one where there's this like guy that swears that he was watching. They have these underground like cameras, not underground, underwater cameras that you can just watch the ocean 24 seven. Mm-hmm. And this kid swears he saw a Megalodon swim past the camera at one point. So uh, I've seen those conspiracies. I'm pretty like fascinated by them. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I have watched that Discovery Channel thing. And yes. I mean, it seemed like, but if there was a Megalodon, it'd be eating the shit out of everything. We would know about it. Yeah. Like in my logic. Okay. Uh, I, that was the next thing in my notes. If one of these existed, I would guess he'd be murdering the hell out of everyone and everything. See? Reasonable. <laughs> so there's That's what main... happened to the pirates. <laughs> so there's two main theories as to why they were extinct. And the first one's climate change. Since they were a warm water shark, as soon as the ocean started to cool, they all died out. And then the other is that all their food source went extinct. Therefore, they went extinct. They ran out of things to eat. So either one makes sense. So, the next big giant nope on my list is called the Basilosaurus. Okay. Despite its name, Basilo... I'm saying that so... (laughs) It looks like Basilosaurus, but that can't be right. That sounds too hick. Let's go with that. Basilosaurus. Basilosaurus, or King Lizard, was actually a whale that lived during the... Eocene epic until about 34 million years ago when its fossilized bones were first found in the United States their shape and distribution led scientists to think that they had found a giant reptile of some kind and that's why they named it giant lizard huh shouldn't be too surprising as it was believed that Basilosaurus was (laughs) shaped like and moved like a giant eel (gasps) a 60 foot eel with long, powerful back legs and a jaw that could snap through its victims with a 3,600 pound of biting force. Don't like that. Nope. That's also one and a third school bus is long. <laughs> <laughs> These prehistoric monsters hunted fish and sharks in shallow seas, which covered what is now Alabama. So, God damn it, Alabama. Can it recover Alabama? <laughs> <laughs> And it's the only location it's ever been found. And it's the state's official fossil and has been since 1984. So Okay, I, I won't judge Arkansas as harshly for having its own dinosaur now. <laughs> oh, man. All right, the next one is the Elasmosaurus. It's also known as the Ribbon Lizard. Nope, don't like that. <laughs> 46 feet and two tons. It was a reptile from the Cretaceous period about 80 million years ago. That's about one school bus. Shortly after the end of the Civil War, a military doctor in western Kansas discovered the fossil. And he quickly forwarded this. uh, That doesn't make sense. Forward it to. That makes it sound like an email. This was the Civil War. He did. He emailed the Civil War. (laughs) Aliens. So he quickly contacted American paleontologist Edward Drinker Cope. <laughs> I want that middle name. <laughs> For real. And he named it the Plesiosaur in 1868. Oh, cool. In case you're wondering how a marine reptile ended up in Kansas, remember that American West was covered by shallow water during the Cretaceous period. So That's so cool to me. I know, right? 
So the Elasmosaurus had 71 cervical vertebrae, which is a huge-ass number of neck bones, which allowed it to feed by both stealth and speed. Instead of being a fast swimmer, the prehistoric predator would creep out of the shoals of fish and then suddenly dart its head into the crowd to snatch a few. Fishies. Away. These unlucky fish would be impaled on the teeth that were long and spiny to prevent its escape. But they couldn't actually chew at them. It was just kind of like a cage. Um, so they actually swallowed its prey whole. So, Yikes. Go big or go home, I guess. <laughs> real. <laughs> now my favorite part. Some people believe that this is the Loch Ness Monster. Oh my god. <laughs> <sighs> I believe. I believe. But I, I don't believe it's... Uh, this kind of dinosaur because given the enormous size and weight of its neck, it couldn't hold its neck out of water. It was too heavy. Oh, so that doesn't really add up. And then also these had to breathe oxygen. So they have to emerge to the surface quite often. So if the Loch Ness monster is one of these, he'd be at the surface constantly. Oh man. Now I want to know what dinosaurs the Loch Ness monster are. (laughs) This was one of the theories. I do believe in it, and I want to go to the Loch Ness, and I want to find Nessie and be like, hello, Nessie. I believe in you. Yes. I'm fascinated by the Loch Ness Monster, by the way. Me too. I saw some kid swears he saw a picture, or took a picture of the Loch Ness Monster in, like, Canada, like, last week. I I saw that. I meant to read about it. I forgot. But they're like, yeah, maybe it's the Loch Ness Monster. I'm like, so he's just casually swimming to Canada now? (laughs) Nobody spotted him. Oh, yeah, my cursory search brings up plesiosaur and then an elasmosaur, which was found in Alaska. That's cool. Yeah, the elasmosaur. That's what we're... Yeah, this this guy's also found in Kansas. Huh. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. So, so fascinating. So he's also called the plesiosaur. That's what that drinker guy called him. Awesome. All right, so now to my worst nightmare. Oh, God, I'm, uh, I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> my body is ready. The Titanoboa. Oh, yeah. Those scare the shit out of me. Oh, my God. Okay. Just reading about this gives me the creeps. And everything that touched my foot, I was like, yeah. But, I mean, obviously, it can't be in here because it would take up my whole house. But that's just Unless another. Invisible. Log that away from my irrational thoughts of the day. <laughs> yes. <sighs> I just don't. I just don't do snakes. I think I've mentioned that in every episode. This is not new. I just. Ugh. Uh, okay. And out of the two of us, you're the one that's actually wrangled a snake out from under your couch into the trash can and outside. Oh, God. Where I'm okay. not afraid so, of snakes, and I would be screaming at the top of my lungs and crying and calling the police. The first memory of a dream I ever had as a child was that I was like, probably like six or seven, and had a dream that I was on the love seat in our living room, and there was a snake underneath it. And every time I tried to jump off the couch, it would lunge at me. That's my first nightmare I remember. I used to have that nightmare. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So when my husband and I were dating, I was house sitting and I was cleaning the house because he was coming home the next day from like Afghanistan or something. And so I moved all the couches to sweep underneath them. But I kept hearing something like scratching sound. And I looked behind me and there was a fucking baby snake underneath the couch. (gasps) And it couldn't get traction because we had wood floors. And I fucking panicked like, Ah, like screaming. So I call my mom and I'm like, Mom, I don't know what to do. My mom's laughing her ass off, like crying, laughing. And she can't even form words. And she just like, I was like, this isn't funny. And then finally it was her idea. She's like, get the trash can put over it and scoot it out the door. 
<laughs> Genius. That my mom really came into the rescue after she laughed at me for a good 20 minutes. She couldn't even form words. She was laughing so hard. So, yeah. And then the next day, like, he came home and I told him about it. And he's like, hey, snakes weren't part of this agreement. You could bring your cat, but I, no, no snakes. I'm like, you asshole. <laughs> it's not funny. No. <sighs> it was traumatizing. Now I'm afraid. And the whole morning, I, I paint on the side and I was on the floor leaning up against the couch painting all morning so i'm like was it under there the whole time i was painting like yes to my ass i'm like oh no (sighs) i don't want to think about it yeah so anyway back to this horrific creature it was another primordial hunter that skewered its victims (laughs) it was a snake with needle-like teeth that could pierce flesh and hold on to its prey (sighs) it was up to 50 feet long And three feet wide. The fearsome creature actually wrapped itself around its prey before squeezing it to death, a la current day boa constrictor. (laughs) Okay. That is the length of a school bus, plus like a five-foot person laying down in front of it. So it's a weird visual, but... So like a school school bus, really. (laughs) School bus plus me. Yeah. Yes. And then its width is like... Three feet is about a typical human arm, like adult yes. human arm. Now I have to hold my arm out and look at it. Yes. Me too. That's what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> and it was also 2,500 pounds. And there's actually a website for this, and I'm not making this shit up, where you can put in like a weight of something, and it will give you like a thousand things that weigh that much. <laughs> I had way too much fun for that. So nice. the snake weighed the same as seven cars. It weighed the same as three hippos or four and a half giraffes. Okay. Or 60,000 hamsters. That is my new go-to <laughs> measurement unit there, right there, hamsters. <laughs> I usually weigh my, like, when I was losing all my weight after my weight loss surgery, I would say, like, I've lost one of my pit bull, but now I'm going with hamsters. Oh, my God. It's cool. It's a website called bluebullprojects.com. It's amazing. I, I love it. I giggled a lot. All right. Far larger than modern constrictors, these prehistoric monsters were almost certainly the largest and most dangerous things to be slithering through the rainforest river systems of what is now the Colombian jungle. And this was 60 million years ago. I would nope the fuck out of there so fast. I mean, I don't even want to go to this jungle now just because it used to be there. Yeah, I would die of pure fright. Oh my god. And it was camouflaged. So it's all blendy with the jungle. So no, you don't even see it coming. Like, God fucking damn it. Like, how do you even escape this thing? Yeah, <sighs> you don't. You don't. I'm surprised it went extinct because it could have killed everyone. It can also lurk in the trees. What the fuck? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it can be found in trees and it can be on land, but it was also like surprisingly fast in water. And then it could eat fish, turtles, and even crocodiles, like, with no. So, no, 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 no. No, it had no natural enemies. Not really. Yeah. No. (sighs) There was, (laughs) there's, like, a lot of videos on YouTube of this thing fighting, like, prehistoric animals. And there was one from the Smithsonian, like, 
this snake versus a T-Rex. And I couldn't watch it, obviously, because I would. Yeah, no, that <gasps> sounds no. But, I mean, if it could go up against things like a T-Rex, like, uh, huh. Yeah. No. Nightmares. Okay. Some scientists still think it could have killed by constricting and asphyxiating its brain. (laughs) The words are hard. (laughs) While others argue that it looks like a boa constrictor, but it behaves more like an anaconda that lurks in the shallows and ambushes its animals with a stunning blow. So, goddamn anacondas are only 29 feet long. So, this thing is twice the size of an anaconda. Imagine, like, the movie with J-Lo. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Like, twice that size. Yeah, Anaconda don't want none. (laughs) So bad. Okay, so what happens next? Scientists agree on the great snake swallowed its giant prey whole. Oh, it it says, even if you had the terrifying experience of staring into the Titanoboa's mouth, uh... It would kill you before you even had a chance to scream. So that's terrifying thought. Yeah, that that's nightmare inducing. <sighs> Fuck that shit. No. No. <laughs> no. Okay, moving on. <sighs> All right. So the Sarcosuchus Imperator means the flesh crocodile emperor. And there's little doubt that these prehistoric monsters were ever a bit as horrifying as the name suggests. It is 40 feet long and weighs 10 tons. Okay, so that's one school bus long and weighs the same as four and a half rhinos or 30 cows. And it's also the same weight as 30,000 human hearts. How many hamsters, though? (laughs) I tried to, like, shake it out a little bit. Okay, fine. (laughs) I'll Google it later. It's fine. I don't know why you would need to know, like, a weight in human hearts or I why is this a thing that's so easily accessible on the internet? We may never know. It's just another thing we have to explain to the FBI when they look at our research <laughs> history. That's true. So, like modern-day crocodiles, the muscles used to open its jaws were probably fairly weak. It is thought, however, that the super crocs bite force may have been much as much as 17,500 pounds. This pretty much lights out if you happen to be any large lobe-finned fish, turtle, or rival dinosaur that happens to be passing. Nice. So, finally, the last one is the Camaroceras, which means chambered horn. It was a cephalopod that lived in the Ordovician... Dovician period around 470 million years ago. It is related to the squid and the octopus. This ancient kraken consisted of a huge spiral cone, possibly around 18 feet long, with protruding tentacles that could reach out and grab fish, crustaceans, and other shellfish. So even though soft tissue doesn't leave any fossil record for us to study, they were able to compare it to modern cephalopods like cuttlefish. And scientists actually built up what they think is a pretty accurate picture of what this half a billion year old beast would look like. It's thought that the tentacles would drag its unfortunate prey towards the hard beak that they had made of keratin. And these beaks could easily snap bone, shell, or tendon into two without any second thought. And it's also possible that it's related to modern day sea creatures and it had a toothed 
tongue, which was a, a barbed appendage that could be used to drag out and devour soft tissue from inside of shells. Yikes, yikes, yikes. So it's all fun and games when you're like, yay, Krakens are cool. And then you get snapped in half by a, a tooth. Yeah, those are, like, the number one thing that I'm still convinced actually lives, like, in the deep ocean still. Is, like, these giant, giant, giant squids. Like, looking things. Yes. I think they have found proof of giant squids still. I think these are supposed to be... Pause for a second. How big are giant squids? (laughs) Real big. Uh, Real AFM big. Giant squids. Okay, so a giant squid that, like, we know of today is 13 meters. 43 feet. Oh, Oh, these are only 18 feet. Oh, suck it, prehistoric squid. Yeah, giant squids are larger. Huh, okay. Goddamn. No thanks. Good to know. Give me a hard pass for me. Nope, 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 nope. All right. Well, that's that on things that would kill you if you traveled into the past. Awesome. I've been having a lot of nightmares about aliens lately, but I think those are going to also show up in my nightmares now. (laughs) I remember when I worked at the library, there was like a children's magazine and it had like prehistoric monsters and it showed a picture that snake thing up against like school buses and (laughs) giant things and i was like no hell no also speaking of snakes and libraries i remember (laughs) when i worked at that same library and somebody turned in a box of books in the children's department and there was a dead snake in it i remember that oh my god were you there when this guy came in with a bottle of snakes and it was like a copperhead and we're like <gasps> you cannot bring this in here and he's like why i just smelled it. it's my it's my friend and we're like you can't bring a poison snake into a children's department of a library no. why is this a thing that i have to say out loud <laughs> oh my god that's how like the entirety of working in libraries is why is this a thing i have to tell you also, why is there a chicken in the reference section? That's also something that we've had to ask. So, a live chicken, yes. It's fun because sometimes, like, you just look and you'd see something and you're like, that's not right. But you're really <laughs> not that shocked anymore. Like, I saw a random dog run through one time or the time the naked guy ran through. And I'm like, yes. that's not right. But, eh. <laughs> just libraries. It's part of working <laughs> in them. <laughs> Whatever. Anywho, so that is awesome. And I am... Definitely going to have nightmares, but that's okay. That's You're life. welcome. All right. So are you ready for my weird AF? I am so ready. All okay. right. Oh, my God. Okay. So we are going to talk about coprolites or coproliths, which is also known as fossilized feces. <laughs> We're going to talk about poop. So... Coprolites are classified as trace fossils as opposed to body body fossils. So it's poop instead of bones. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, interesting because my story just talked about how like soft tissue and carrot or uh, cartilage and everything doesn't fossilize. So yes, yes. So these fossils give insight into an animal's behavior more than that it's like physiology so like it's diet and stuff like that 
So the name coprolite comes from the Greek words copras, which means dung, and lithos, which means stone. So it's a dung stone. <laughs> of course it is. They were first described in 1829 by William Buckland. And before they were called coprolites or fossilized feces, they were called fossil fir cones or bezoar stones. <laughs> fir cone. Fir cone. <laughs> So, and that just, that, like, gives me these really weird images of, like, fossil suppositories. I don't know. I took a weird turn. Anyway, so they, yeah, they're used in paleontology to, uh, as evidence of, like, predation and the diet of the organisms that they came from and blah, blah, blah. So the coprolites range from, in size, from a few millimeters to over 60 centimeters. I am 65 centimeters tall, 60 centimeter tall poops, or long. Oh, oh man. Those are big poops, like the giant <laughs> dung heap in Jurassic Park. I'm just going to keep referring to I that. I was just about to say that. <laughs> yes. And then the sexy paleontologist shoves his hand into it, or she does, she does, yes. Oh man, she's a badass. She's another person I wanted to be. Real talk, real talk. So, okay, so... Here's a little distinction. So coprolites are different from paleofeces, which is paleofeces is human feces. Oh. So like paleofeces is also a coprolite, but not all coprolites are paleofeces because not all coprolites are human feces. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, so we're just talking about the animal feces. So like other fossils, coprolites have had much of their original composition replaced by mineral deposits like silicates and calcium carbonates. And paleofeces, on the other hand, retain a lot of their organic composition and all that, which I just, when I was first looking this up, and there's also a thing in like human paleofeces, it's uh, urolites, which is the erosion caused by evacuation of liquid waste. So like they found like fossilized indentations of like pee. Which is just weird to me. And, like, can you imagine, like, okay, I've always wanted to stumble upon, like, a dinosaur artifact. I don't really want to stumble upon a dinosaur poop. That would be our luck. (laughs) That would be, like, here, you can finally discover something in your life, young child, but it's going to be a giant pile of shit. So, yes, I was picturing people just, like, going along and, like, digging under, you know, trails or trees or whatever and finding these poops. But that's not the case. So, the fossil hunter, Mary Anning, so... What, what, Mary? She noticed that around like 1824, that Beezer stones or coprolites were often found in the abdominal regions of ichthyosaur skeletons. And these were found in the Leas Formation at Lyme Regis, which is in West Dorset, England. Oh. So again, like it just, it really threw me that they were found in England and not like, I don't know, Egypt or somewhere. Uh, So she also noted that the stones were often broken open, or when they were broken open, they contained, like, fish bones and scales. Sometimes, like, they would even contain smaller ichthyosaurs. And by these observations, it led to William Buckland to propose that the stones were actually poop. Like, when they first found them, they were like, oh, these are just, like, rocks. Like, they ate rocks, or they, um, the like bezoar stones can be produced by low stomach acid and the food sitting there and processing in your stomach over and over until it forms a stone. 
but it William Buckland in 1829 was like, actually, I think this is actually like feces. So that's why he started calling them coprolites. Oh, man. man. Smart dude. dude. Right. So because it was in these um, ichthyosaurs, they saw that there were spiral markings on the fossils. And that showed them that the ichthyosaurs had spiral ridges in their intestines, similar to those of modern sharks. Oh, so, like, they know this just by looking at this, and then that some coprolites were black with ink from swallowing belemnites, which is, like, a type of dinosaur kind of that has kind of the inky protrusions that, like, uh, squids do. Oh, cool. So, basically, they use this to figure out, you know, if they were, like, herbivorous, carnivorous, omnivorous, et cetera, et cetera. And let's see... Yeah, I mean, they just, they found out a lot about animal digestive tracts by looking at this. And they also looked at some of the coprolites in a psilosaurus and found that it might be an insectivore based on, you know, it had the beak-like jaw. And then there was a high density of beetle remains that were found in their intestines. Oh. So, like, this this is really fascinating to me because... I remember in like eighth grade biology, we had to dissect owl pellets, which was like the regurgitated owl like stomach. And we even had a, oh God, it was so weird. What the hell? Um, We had (laughs) to dissect these owl pellets and see who could build the most complete skeleton of a mouse from one pellet. What? Because the owl, yeah, because the owl would eat the mouse and then the, it would throw up the skeleton in the pellet. It was weird. But yeah, so it made me think of that. That is cool as shit. Like, we only got to dissect, like, a fetal pig, which was very sad. We never got to do anything. Yes, we did that. I was actually, like, planning on doing that with the teens in the fall because you can order owl pellets on like online and oh. yeah it's really weird um and i think the game and fish commission can also do a program like that but anyway so fun fact but yeah so like it was fascinating because we did the same kind of thing and i looked you can actually buy coprolites on like ebay really i don't i don't feel like that's something i want to add to my mantle or my I mean, bar it would be a conversation piece it would. I got a cute vase the other day, and I could just set it next to it and be like, oh, like oh. Look at my vase. Look at my poop. Yes. Observe my French vase and my poop. <laughs> so, yes. Um, but, yeah, and, like, they used these copper lights to show that, you know, which. Okay, so they've used the copper lights of the paleofeces to pinpoint which cultures had cannibalistic behaviors because they found human proteins in the coprolites oh wow yeah so it's really cool and then there were parasites found in the human and animal animal coprolites that have shed light on questions of human migratory patterns different diseases that went through ancient civilizations animal domestication practices stuff like that like it's this huge like vast study just based on these stones like it's really cool that is really cool also it feels like all history leads to cannibalism at this point (laughs) oh my god i hadn't even stopped and thought about that but it does it really does all of our stories are like and cannibalism yes cannibalism and aliens (laughs) 
But yeah, so um funny you should say that. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah, and then so they, and I'll I'll definitely be sure to put up a piece of a picture of a piece of fossilized pooped with our pictures. Hell yeah. But yeah, so now well in eighteen forty two they started like mining coprolites. What do you do for a living? I mine poop. Yes. I oh my god. I, I am just... a poop miner. <laughs> a miner of the poop. Please don't Google poop miner. <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it and email us and let us know the results. Just screenshots or didn't happen. No. Screenshots. <laughs> no, but okay, so this this is the part that kind of makes me sad. So we know that the kind of joke, but not joke, that gasoline is made of dinosaurs. Okay, well, coprolite mining. <sighs> Coprolites found outside of Felix Toe in Suffolk and other places like Trimley, St. Martin, Falkenham, Curtin, all those, were found to be a potential source of phosphate once they had been treated with sulfuric acid. And they were patented to into an extraction process and set about finding new sources to mine. So then the copper lights became mined to become an industrial fertilizer because of the high phosphate content. Huh. So people are using dinosaur poop to fertilize their crops, basically. I mean, and I got a lime tree. Can I get some dinosaur fertilizer for my lime tree? On eBay, you can get, like, whole... <laughs> maybe you could, like, buy your dinosaur poop on eBay and then, like, your sulfuric acid on eBay and then just, like, grade it together with a microplaner. I don't know. I don't know. That's what I'm picturing in my head. The scientific sounds, way. Sounds legit. Why not? Let's do it. Yeah. But, yeah, so it... The, this industry declined in the 1880s, but it was revived during the First World War. To provide phosphates for munitions. Oh. So, making those munitions with the dinosaur poop. I had no idea. Yes. So, yeah. From dinosaur intestines to paleontology to the First World War. Huh. So, all roads in history lead to poop. Yes. And cannibalism. I wonder if America will get to cannibalism soon. That'll be fun. Deforestation. Causes yes. cannibalism, so that's, we're close. That's what Easter Island taught us. <laughs> but yes, so that is coprolites. Man, that was so cool. I have to share this one thing I keep like remembering but forgetting to say. So Neil deGrasse Tyson put this thing on Twitter once, and I promise it's relevant. He said, you know, we always, people have argued for years and years and years, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Mm-hmm. He had the best argument that, like, I 100% back. He said that the egg came first from something that was not a chicken because of evolution. Oh. I know. And it blew my mind. And I think of it all the time. So that is also what I believe, that the chicken came from dinosaurs, but the chicken had to come from an egg that was not a chicken egg until it was a chicken egg. He's so smart. He is. He was at the Webby's the other day, so now I'm determined that we should win a Webby so that we can meet Neil deGrasse Tyson. Hell yes. So we need Vision we need it. more people to listen, so tell your friends, tell yes. your family. Yes. <laughs> Help us meet Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make us start a GoFundMe. <laughs>
I there's only like a few people where I think I would be literally speechless if I met them. Like I don't get starstruck often, but I think with him, uh, Bill Murray, <laughs> yes, Obama. I think there's a few people that'd be like, oh, I love Obama. you. Yes, <laughs> just all the Obamas. Yeah, I would all be the Obamas. <laughs> be like, I miss you. Yes, <laughs> baby, come back. Oh man, yeah. There's just. He's so smart. I think that's what's so impressive. He's just... All right. Cool kiss. One story to go. Yes! And then we got a drunk dive. <laughs> I'm so excited. I wrote so many notes. Because I didn't write any, and I'm I... drinking, so... Anyhow. Our okay. last story is spooky AF. Yes! I, like, I'm so excited that you found something for spooky, and whatever our topic is, I'm too drunk to remember. <laughs> prehistoric prehistoric i was trying to say paleontologist <laughs> and i was like that's not right okay, i but. am actually really excited because i kind of stumbled on this and um it wouldn't have been the first thing i thought of so file this away in places not great for taking a stroll alone at night the haunted mounds <laughs> from prehistoric times Ooh, ah. so it was a worldwide phenomenon during the prehistoric times for people to bury their dead under mounds, which are known as tumuli today. The dead were buried along with their worldly possessions, and their spirits were revered as sacred ancestors who granted protection. However, it's also believed that they could also take revenge on those who dared disturb their eternal rest, such as grave robbers or even archaeologists. Depends on who you talk to. They're the same thing. Yes. I've met some people that are like, archaeologists are grave robbers. Uh, mostly art historians. <laughs> very anti-archaeologists. All right, so Stone Age burial mounds to honor the dead. During the Stone Age, people had a multitude of rituals. For example, weather was considered highly important for the crops. A bad crop could have meant starvation. Therefore, people believed that they could use different rituals to influence the weather in order to bring on rain or make a stop if necessary. So it's just kind of like a little background of how superstitious they were, how they felt like they could control it through their rituals. <laughs> the people from the Stone Age also venerated their ancestors, so they had to make sure that their dead were at peace. If they looked after the spirits of the dead, then they believed that the dead would look after the living. So a little trade-off there. Okay. The spirit had to be released so that it would not remain trapped inside the body, and it was believed that the spirit could leave the body only once all the flesh had disappeared from their bones. At times, when the dead were not pleased with their funeral rites, it was believed that they would return to haunt the living. I would, too. I know. I have so many people I want to haunt, so. Real talk. (laughs) I've made a list. I'm going to crochet them or, like, knit them into a scarf like Madame Defarge and... The Tale of Two Cities. Uh, I, mean, I swear it, it's funny when we say things like this, but sometimes Zeke's like, if you drop dead, I'm going to have like a funeral burial. Just throw the couch out in the backyard and throw a flaming arrow or something. And I'm always like, I will haunt the shit out of you. You <laughs> <laughs> will never date again. <laughs> Real, talk. Real talk. So, yeah. We have a fun marriage. <laughs> Same. <laughs> All right. So prehistoric people built burial mounds made of earth or stone. And they were designed like homes for the deceits and sometimes resembled the prehistoric dwellings of the living. So to appease the souls of the dead, they kind of built them tiny little houses. 
Not really much unlike ancient Egypt last week. So kind of the same idea. In their afterlife, they need to have all the things of the living so that they can be happy. Hey, husband, scrap my she shed. I want a burial house. (laughs) Right? I want want a mound or a pyramid. Yes. Takes a long time to build, so they need to start right now. (laughs) Exactly. So long mounds are the most common, such as Fusil's Lodge in England. So another story in England. This mound was probably built in over 10 years, and it's 100 meters, which is 328 feet long. Prehistoric people could also enter the mounds of their ancestors in order to perform the necessary rituals from time to time. So unlike the Egyptians that kind of sealed it off, nobody ever went in there. These mounds were made where you could just keep on going in there to do rituals. Also a little different. To the spooky. Legends of the burial mound at Silbury Hill. So during the Neolithic and Bronze Age, burial mounds lost their long shapes and became rounder. Silbury Hill is probably the best example of this style, and it's located near Avebury, Wiltshire, England, and it was built around 2700 BCE. Silbury Hill is 40 meters, which is 131.2 feet high, and it has a diameter of 160 meters, which is 524.9 feet. The construction took about 10 years, and it's regarded as the largest prehistoric monument in England. And it's very big. It's five acres when you put it into context. That is a big-ass mound. Yeah. It's also estimated that it could have taken up to 4 million man-hours to build. So, also, ginormous. Yes, that is a long-ass time. Yeah, so some miners gathered near the mound in 1776... Holla, America. Okay. They intended to unravel the secrets of the mound by digging there to see what lied underneath. Nothing was found. Other digs from 1849 and 1969 also revealed nothing. Because the hill has remained surrounded in mystery, a large number of legends have emerged about it. And a little side note, because none of these people thought to refill all these holes... They weakened the mound's structural integrity, thus fucking shit up for the rest of us. Why does that not surprise me? (laughs) Right. Think, people. If it's a big hole, you're just drilling holes in it. It's going to cave. But nobody nobody thinks about the future. It's always about the here and now. Anywho, why is it a huge mystery? Nobody knows why it's there, what it is, or what's in it. Because they can't find anything. So, one of the legends speaks about how the devil intended to cover the city of... Devises? Devises? We'll say devises. In Wiltshire with Earth, a shoemaker took a bag full of used shoes and went to meet the devil. The man encountered the devil while he was resting after having carried an earth mound. The devil asked the man how long the road was until he got to the town he wanted to reach. In response, the young man showed him all of the used shoes. He added that he had used all these shoes since having left the city three years ago. Upset, the devil said he didn't intend to travel that far carrying the mound, so he just left it there. Let's okay. unpack that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a lot to take in. <laughs> so basically, summary is the devil's like holding up this giant mound, being like, do, 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 going to the city. And this guy has a bag full of shoes, and he's like, hey, devil, you know, this is a long ass way away. You don't want to go there? And then he outsmarted the devil, and he's just like, yeah, I'll leave it here and go home. Okay. The devil's been all over. Like, he's been to England with a clot of dirt. I love legends. 
Right? <laughs> Legends are the best. There's also kind of an alternate tale to this that also involves the devil. It says that he was on his way to bury the town of Marlborough. I guess like the cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> um, under a sack of earth. Folklore is a bit vague as to why he had it out for this town. Nobody really knows why he was going to go bury it. But he was encountered by a priest of Avebury. A much heated debate ensued, whereby the devil was forced to drop his sack of earth where he stood in Presto. Silbury was born. And uh, that one makes even less sense to me. <laughs> well, and like, would you really want to boast that your town was created by the devil? <laughs> that's true. I feel like that's a bad claim to fame. It's true, but I want to know what the priests and him argued about why is that not included oh like, yeah how like what kind of argument do you have with the devil the devil's like fuck it i'm out done i don't want to deal with you anymore that but, is wonderful yes thanks priest <laughs> yeah thanks priest <laughs> all right so the mound is also said to be haunted by the ghost of the mythical king sill according to legend he was buried there alongside his horse and his armor was completely made entirely of gold. Despite the many digs to the site, nobody's ever found his remains. But another legend says that the mythical warrior king was actually buried on top of his horse, like he was riding it. And then he later transformed into a life-sized figure of solid gold. But also, they never found it, so. Huh. Yeah. So a little additional cool-ass folklore. Some people believe that it was a solar observatory or a giant sundial, and it's been suggested that it was used to measure the seasons of the year, since Silbury cast a shadow across the level plane north to Avery. Kind of like Newgrange in Ireland? Kind of, yeah. I've been there, by the way. What? It's cool. I've been inside of it. It's awesome. Oh, my God. I've been to Ireland, but I've never made it to England, and I'm dying to go. And we have friends there now, so I'm like, we need to go visit. Yes. <laughs> like, if we ever got orders overseas, I'm just dying for England because, you know, one, I can speak that language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a big that's a big plus. But two, like, I'm predominantly, my ancestors are English, and I'm like, I just need to be with my people. Oh, yeah. Welsh here. Yeah. And one of my really good friends is English, and she's just the most delightful human. So I need to be around her people. Love yeah. it. So it was also thought to be a huge fertility symbol dedicated to the Earth Goddess because it was so important for farming communities to have good and healthy crops. They thought that this was kind of like a monument to that goddess. And then another fun one. Um, is that it's a fairy hill. Ooh, I love fairy hills. Right? So fairies, elementals, and nature spirits were believed to inhabit ancient man-made mounds, just like the one at Silbury. Some people said that in the dead of night, at a time when you were allowed to access the hill, muffled sounds of the revelry and gaiety can be heard coming from the mound. Some have even described thousands of twinkling, shimmering lights dancing about the mound summit. At this point, fairy folklore becomes a little darker. (laughs) Should you find yourself enticed into the fairy mound, beware, for all is not what it seems. I'm quoting here. (laughs) (laughs) Although you will be welcome and promptly invited to eat, drink, and be merry with these ethereal entities, your eventual return and emergence back into the real world will leave you horrified. Because as you were innocently partying within the mound outside, 
Enchantment has dealt you a cruel blow for 100 years has elapsed and all those you love and cherish are long dead. I think that's a fair trade. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, husband. (laughs) Sorry, husband. I mean, I granted, I would probably take my husband with me. Okay. And so he would also be there 100 years later. Yeah, that would be a good trade off. Yes. So, and I have so. to take my parents, too, and my friends. My, my, my next bullet is literally, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> the last uh, theory is that it's a preparation for a landing stage of alien spaceships. God damn it. <sighs> because it looks like a flying saucer. Of course. It says This is a quote from the site that I got it from. It says, the lunatic fringe believe that the builders of Silbury were the first visited by aliens who showed them how to build it. Says, does that not insult the intelligence of our ancestors? Amen. Yeah. He says, this theory is purposely the last in my list simply because it is utter bollocks. I okay. agree. Because I just love that word. Bollocks. Yes. <laughs> so, I really like that last part. They're as angry as we are about aliens. Yes, that is like the hill that I will die on. <laughs> it's never aliens. Oh my god. It's never aliens. I really thought at this point, because this is the last story that I wrote my notes for, I was like, we've made it a whole episode without aliens. And I'm like, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. So close. I am not pro alien with history. Unless you're an alien listening, please don't come at me. Because whatever. Okay. So with that, you're done with that. Yeah. That was, we're going to end with aliens. Awesome. Okay, Same so trend. <laughs> hell yes, it is. <sighs> That's just our thing now. But so we're still looking for listener stories always and forever. Please, please, please. If you have a historical experience, if you are from a town that has a cool legend or history, if you have a paranormal or a true crime story that you want us to kind of do a history dive and then tell your story please send them into our email at historicalafpod at gmail.com yes or i mean any any like personal family history that you just want to share anything like that we want it we want it we want it so email us yes um you can find us on instagram facebook and twitter at historicalafpod our merch site which for a few more days you can get 15 percent off on at shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. Yes. And if you'd like to support us, please, please, please uh, join us at patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And there you can either become a fierce AF member for $2. That includes our librarian list that has a curated book list of nonfiction and fiction books that go along with all of our stories. And it also has a historical bucket list that has places that you should go to see some of the things we talk about. And it also comes with a social media shout out and our undying gratitude. Yes. (laughs) The best part. The next, if you want to be majestic AF for just $5, you get all of that good shit. Plus you get our bloopers, you get a drunk dive, which we're about to film our first one, and it's going to be amazing. And it also comes with a Q&A party and, oh, shit, what am I missing? Oh, and a shout-out on air. <laughs> Yay! 
Oh, and our Majestic also get to choose our themes. So we have polls going up there. And if you are a Patreon member, please, please, please go and vote for next week's theme. We have a tie right now. So we need somebody to break the tie. Yes. Otherwise, we're just going to pick ourselves and we'd rather you pick it. (laughs) Yes. And then personal Instagram for me is at AJ Rulo. And my personal Twitter, I've apparently started to lose my voice again, is at librarian underscore AF. And my Instagram is Kina Leanne. That's K-Y-N-A-L-E-A-N-N-E. I know my name's hard. I get it. And then my Twitter is pirate with <laughs> W-I-F. And uh, again, that's just kind of like an inside joke I have with my husband. So, you know. Although apparently in the news it's like space pirates or something. So now I'm regretting my name. <laughs> we need a space force for the space pirates. Nope, too late. Can't go back. (laughs) Of course we do. Do you think that the space pirates have, like, shanghai the Tesla that was launched into space? (laughs) If they haven't, I'll be so disappointed. And really quick, I'd like to do a shout out to a podcast that is new, kind of like us, and they've shouted us out on every episode. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So please, please, also, if you like us, go listen to Cheers from the Grave. And uh, pretty soon, we're going to be doing an extra AF episode, and we're going to be talking about um, some paranormal stories that happened at the library we worked at. And we're going to have EVPs from our paranormal investigation on our pod, and then we're also going to have some that are going to be on their pod. So you need to go check them out. Yes, definitely check them out. They are so good. They talk about weird shit, which I love. And I definitely, like, rolled down my window at Tropical Smoothie the other day. And the girl popped out right as they said something about someone licking urine off the floor. <laughs> so it was a really awesome moment. They're so good. Definitely go listen to them. I mean, you guys know that I don't like to listen to demon things, but I listened to that whole episode and I yes. have not gotten possessed. So I think we're good. Yes, I'm very proud of you for putting that, uh, that effort in. <laughs> but yeah, they're lovely. And also, a lot of these library paranormal stories stem from a story that was read on And That's Why We Drink. So if you listen to their May listener story, that was me. And now we're yes. going to kind of continue with that story, but we're going to have the EVPs. So yes. So yeah, we're just like cross-pollinating a, on all these podcasts right now. <laughs> we're trying. <laughs> So yes, please, please, please keep on listening. And if you like us, tell your friends and families and strangers on the street to listen to us. And please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. We're on Facebook. And when you do, take a screenshot and send it to us and you can win a prize. Yay! Prizes. Yeah. I love prizes. We have a merch store now, so we got a lot of stuff to choose from. Oh, yes. So fun. Anyway, we love you guys. Yes, love you so much. Thank you. Bye. Happy week. Bye.